As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and a show we're dedicating to the league that arguably gave us the most compelling and dramatic season-long title race of any league, Serie A. Milan are champions for the first time in 11 years. They pit their rivals Inter to the Scudetto on the final day, sparking jubilant celebrations in Emilia-Romagna and sparking cigars in Zlatan's mouth. Uh, The third horse in the race, Napoli, finished in third, and Juventus secured themselves Champions League soccer once again in a season they might not look back upon too fondly. Uh, the Roman teams, meanwhile, will both be in Europe next year, and the Venice fashion brand, they're going to be down in Serie B once again. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to talk Calcio is a Rome-based Serie A journalist and a Scot who knows a lot about soccer. Finally, we have one of those on the show. Alistair McKenzie, welcome. How are you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks for the wonderful introduction. Oh, you're very welcome, Alistair. Very, very welcome to have you here today. Uh, you may have seen Alistair's work in The Times, in the iPaper, Eurosport 442, BBC, CNN. The list goes on and on and on. And Alistair, you're a podcaster too, is that right? I am, yeah. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's a club-specific podcast in my case. I, I co-host one called Lazio Lounge, all about the, the first team of Rome, obviously, Lazio. So, um if we happen to have any Lazio, English-speaking Lazio fans listening to this, please, please check it out. Why not? Oh, okay, so um, a little bit about your story then, Alistair, before we get going. We're in Rome. We're both in Rome. Um, you're a Lazio fan, presumably. How long have you been covering Serie A and what brought you to, uh, to choose the Dolce Vita? Yeah, um, well, I mean, any UK... Uh, based people of, of my kind of generation will be familiar with a, a TV show called Football Italia that was on uh, in the kind of 90s into the early 2000s. And basically it was showing free um, free to air Italian football every weekend. You know, I, I grew up in a household where my parents didn't watch any football, so we didn't have the, the paid subscriptions on Sky and so on. So I couldn't actually really watch any football other than Italian football in that period. And I, I eventually picked up Lazio as my team, more or less, sadly to say, because they were absolutely incredible back then. And I had a fascination <laughs> with, with Rome as a city as well. Um, and yeah, so th- that was where the kind of love began. I mean, it is an incredible league. I, I do love it to bits. I would have given up long ago if it wasn't for the fact that it, it just sucks you in. It's a massive soap opera. You don't get the kind of characters and the storylines and the ridiculousness really in any other division in my opinion and um yeah w- went into sports journalism eventually obviously as a career moved out to rome in 2018 so i've been here uh coming on for four years now um and covering covering every step and it's been quite a good time really because it's become a far more competitive league in that period and obviously milan yesterday uh clinching it we've now had three title winners in three years so finally we've got a uh, the, the Juve period of dominance is over and, and we're back to having a, a competitive league again. 
Yeah, things getting very interesting at the moment. And I love that you mentioned Gazetta Football Italia, the show that was on British TV back in the day. I think I might be a little older than you, Alastair, but we're around the same age. And I agree with you. I, I, um, that, that was the only soccer I had access to when I was that age because um, the Premier League, uh, as it became, was um, put on... Uh, paid for cable TV, if you will. Uh, and it was Paul Gascoigne who went and played for Lazio at that period, mm. I believe. And he actually, funnily enough, he lived in the neighbourhood that I live in now. And uh, so, because I, I live pretty near to Formello where Lazio train. Um, and yeah, he, that was, uh, that started my love affair with Italian soccer as well, I'd say. And it's kind of, yeah, br- brought me here today. So a, a similar journey, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Gaza as well, you know, he's just one of these players that everybody fell in love with. I think everywhere he's been, he's re- remembered so fondly. And it's it's really amazing how it's exactly the same here because he came to Lazio as a big name and it was a long time ago. Now we're talking about 1994. But um, he's still remembered so fondly by the fans despite only spending uh, three years at the club and actually not being able to play an awful lot of football in that time without, you know, bar the odds, incredible goal that he did obviously score. So um, the, the strength of his personality was was something else. And, and and I think he did a hell of a lot, to be honest, to, to increase the image of the league. It's certainly in the UK. Definitely. So uh, one more question for you, Asda, before we get to the uh, the teams itself and this season itself. Can you tell us a little bit what it's like covering Serie A? I mean, every weekend you're going up and down the country. You were at Sassuolo, obviously, over the weekend for Milan's title win. Um, you, you're covering a lot of ground. You're on a lot of trains, I presume. What's it like like on a day-to-day basis visiting all these different parts of Italy and seeing all these different um, soccer cultures, if you will? Fascinating, yeah. I mean, it's, it is a really interesting country for that because it's fiercely tribal as football always is but um italy as i'm sure you're getting to grips with is is a very uh, a country that's very proudly regionalized and so these clubs represent something more than just a football club to a lot of these people it's also the city or the area or whatever and you do see that everywhere you go you know naples is almost a <laughs> something of its own really because it's 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 a massive city and a one club city which is a very uh very unique thing whereas in big cities like Milan and Rome you've obviously got the massive rivalries that have really stored up over years and years and and yeah i mean w- within the within the country uh smaller rivalries you might not know as much about like in Genoa like in Reggio Emilia that are every bit as fierce perhaps on a smaller scale as as the rest. So it's, it's a, yeah, it's a fascinating football culture. You know, I'm still learning a lot about it as, as I, like you say, travel around and, and visit places. Cause I think that's the way that you really pick up on, uh, I guess the kind of minutiae of, of how people actually live um, their support of their clubs. So yeah. yeah, it's a great place to visit as well to, to watch football, you know, football tourism wise, I would encourage people as much as possible, even if they're here for, for other reasons, for romantic holidays or family holidays, if you can get to a game while you're here, it's always worth doing because facilities are generally pretty poor and the stadiums are always crumbling, but the the atmosphere is almost unmatched. Yeah, it's part of the charm, I guess, though. Um, we, we've had some questions submitted on Twitter, Alistair, one of which from Alex Izvicki asks about the um, the North-South divide in Italian soccer. So if we could talk a bit about the dynamics, I mean, the, the power kind of mirrors the economics of the country where a lot of the power's in the north, but you've got these hotbeds, as you say, like Naples with Napoli and the Roman teams who are also strong. And I'm thinking about it almost as a uh, an upside down version of the UK or England, I should say, sorry, where, you know, the, the power's in the south, so to speak. And could you compare, say, Naples to like Newcastle, one team town where, you know, th- there's a big club there as well? Is, is, is there some, mm. There's some similarities there? You you know I never really thought of it that way, but yeah, I guess I guess you could. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a similar dynamic, I guess, in the sense of uh, the feeling of the the power base being in the north, and then obviously the wealth largely being in the north as well. I mean, as a general rule, the the country becomes poorer the further south you go, but there's a lot of historic um, beef, I guess, that's been built up over the years. There's a lot of 
what's become termed as territorial discrimination, which is now almost on a par with actual racism in Italy in terms of the fines that, that can be given out for it or the punishments handed out by the league because of the amount of, um, well, because of the ch- kind of chance and the, the nature of the chance that are directed at teams like, well, particularly Napoli from, from almost everyone they play. So there, there's definitely a huge huge divide in the country in terms of north-south. Rome doesn't really fit into that, though. Rome is kind of like an outlier in that it is pretty much bang in the centre and it doesn't really fit in either of those descriptions as northern or southern. Um, northern people would probably say <laughs> say otherwise, but but it, it is a bit of an outlier in that whole debate. But then obviously further south you go Calabria, Puglia, and then down to Sicily as well. There have been some fantastic clubs from those areas who have been in Serie and done very well in Serie, you know, like so Palermo, Catania, Bari, Lecce. Uh, recently, we've had Crotone, Benevento in the top league, for example. And um, yeah, it's it, it's there's a rich football culture down there as well. But there's there's certainly it's certainly something I like to see. Um, I think it adds more to the league in my mind to have as much of that mix as possible for it to be a cross cross country, uh, well represented division as much as possible as well. I yeah. think it adds an extra richness. Definitely so. All right, let's get to the action of this season then. We should probably start off with the uh, Scudetto champions, Milan. Um, tell us what it was like on Sunday. You, you made the trip up to Sassuolo. Um, very hot, I understand. Uh, what was the atmosphere like? Uh, we, we were told around 18,000 Milan fans. And what does it hold, 24,000? So like three quarters of the stadium was basically a home game for Milan. I'm almost sure it's more than that. Uh, wow. it, it has to have been. I mean... I, I posted one picture on Twitter, and if, if you look at it, there's unless there's a lot more in the stand I was in that I couldn't see, but you try and find a green shirt in that picture, good luck, because it was a sea of red, really. The, the away stand to my left, uh, the main tribune in, in front of me was was pretty much all Milan, and then the, the other curva behind the goal to my right, there's a pocket of Sassuolo Ultras kind of right behind the goal, but otherwise that stand was... was entirely Milan fans um it, it was it felt like a home game and it, it was it was incredible I've never seen anything quite like it you know it's there are massive and vociferous away supports everywhere um it's a great part of football when that happens but I've never seen a, an, a, an opposition stadium being taken over in this way like it was uh on Sunday obviously it was a hugely important game Milan just had to avoid defeat actually to make sure they won the title they hadn't won the title in 11 years and also the the uh the, the other option was losing it to their rivals inter so it was a massive day for for those fans and you can understand why they all flooded down there it's not too far uh from from milan to reggio Emilia either um but yeah it was it was a complete takeover um fascinating dynamic really and it did feel like a home game and and they performed like it was a home game as well yeah, it did seem like from the outset, like it didn't feel like anything was going to happen except a Milan win. They would come out the gate swinging, having a few shots in the first 10 minutes. It, it felt it was pretty inevitable. Um, John Bishop has asked on Twitter, Alistair, he says, as someone who doesn't intensely keep up with Serie A, what were the key components in Milan's title win and who are the key players? And I suppose I'd ask as well, what did Pioli get right because in the past decade, we've seen, you know, legendary players and many other managers try to win the title with the Rossoneri and fail. So what, what did what did he do right? What, what alchemy has he created? Yeah, I mean, it's um, he's done a, an absolutely brilliant job, really. Uh, he's a coach who's been around Serie A for a long time. I mean, his career is 19 years long now as a coach, but he's not won a single trophy until yesterday. It's not a case of him having worked his way up from you know, winning Serie B, Serie C titles or winning Coppa Italias with other teams. He's not won anything in his entire career until yesterday. And so the way he's played this all season long has been perhaps the most impressive thing. He's, he's played this like a guy who's a serial title winner. He's What I mean by that is the way he's managed the media. You know, there's huge expectations around AC Milan because it's AC Milan and they've got this illustrious history. But he's been very careful to, to temper expectations to, to manage expectations so there's not any kind of premature hysteria from from the support about what could happen. Um, he's It's been a step-by-step progress really towards this point. It's worth pointing out, yes, this is AC Milan, but no, this was not 
a team that was supposed to win the title. This was not a title favourite at the start of the season by any means. Uh, Inter, although they lost, you know, Antonio Conte, Romelu Lukaku, which I'm sure we'll get on to, uh, last summer, they were still had a far stronger squad. You know, Juve had Allegri back. They're expected to be far more competitive than they were, even Napoli as well. Uh, this Milan team wasn't really seen as being this 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 huge contender. So in terms of the what Pioli got right, what the components were, it's, it's really building a, a, a team unit that has been greater than the sum of its parts, but also improving those parts as the season's gone along. You know, up until February, they'd actually only spent one week on top of the, the Serie A table. So it's been a, it was a slow burn of a season for them. So what it came down to was a very, very strong finish. Uh, 16 games unbeaten at the end of the season. They barely conceded any goals in that time. So they, they absolutely locked down the defence. And so the goalkeeper, Mike Mignon, who was brought in to replace Gigi Donnarumma last summer, He's been an absolute revelation. He won Goalkeeper of the Year. Uh, in front of him, Fikayo Tomori has been another revelation. He was signed on a permanent deal from Chelsea last summer after a successful loan spell. But then they've had the likes of Sandro Tonali, who, who was brought into great expectations last, uh, sorry, two seasons ago, but had a fairly disappointing debut season. But he's been incredible, a man possessed really this year. And he's a boyhood Milan fan as well. So this meant everything to him. And then above all, Rafael Leao. I mean, he's he's just been named player of the season for Serie A. A guy who's always had immense potential. A guy who's always been a lot of fun to watch because he loves to take players on. He loves to, you know, pull out the old trick. But he's he's managed to turn that kind of potential into proper productivity this season, you know, hitting uh, double figures for goals and assists. And he's really been the attacking star behind this success. But this isn't really a team that's made up of loads of big stars. You know, if you look at the team that won the last title in 2011, they had, I mean, Zlatan was obviously there, he still is, <laughs> but they had, um, you know, Pato was there, Seedorf, Nesta. I mean, they had an, a ridiculous team then. And Zlatan said this after the game. He said, you know, you can't compare these two titles. Last time we had a, a team of 22 players who were used to winning everything. They knew how to win everything. This time it's a young squad that's never won anything before. So... These young players, they've all improved massively. I think Pioli deserves a hell of a lot of credit for that, uh, for giving them you know, a system and a role that suits them, that allows them to improve, but also by bringing in the experienced guys like Olivier Giroud, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who have set the standards and really you know, shown these players what they need to do to become winners and said to them as well, you're not here to... Uh, to, to, to learn that you're here to do that this is AC Milan these are this is what's expected it doesn't matter how young you are so they've had this consistency but also this belief and team spirit that's 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 just barreled them towards this title and every uh, obstacle that's been thrown in front of them they've managed to 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 knock it down and uh, that that consistency has been something that the other teams have completely lacked you know, Inter will be kicking themselves because they probably are the most talented team in this league. And if it wasn't for a, an awful shock defeat against a mid-table Bologna team with nothing to play for, they would have won this title. But Milan didn't do that. So, and and that's that's the reward for consistency. That's the reward for composure, and that's something that Pioli has has instilled in this team. So. They are absolutely worthy champions in my mind. And I think the, the players I mentioned massively behind that, but also Stefano Pioli, the, the work he's done in the last two, two and a half years to, to build this piece by piece um, to, to, to build a, a champion team again. And how has Pioli um, perceived in Italy, in the press and by the people, by the fans? Obviously, he's not a big... Well, I don't think he's a big personality. He's not a Mourinho. He's not a Sarri. Um uh, is is he someone who's going to be gaining a lot more respect now? Obviously, now he's got some silverware. Well, he was he was never really the uh, the big club coach. You know, he he did well in periods. At Lazio, he he built a very good team that, that qualified for the Champions League, uh, the playoffs at least, 
And uh, Fiorentina, he, he did pretty well as well. He earned a lot of plaudits for the way that he dealt with uh, the, the tragic death of Davide Astori while he was in charge there as well. He's always been a coach that's there's earned a lot of kind of respect for the way he's he's held himself and his kind of behavior and what, what, what he's like as a man, I would say. But his teams perhaps have sometimes run out of ideas. That was always my main criticism of him at uh, when he was a Lazio and then beyond that Fiorentina Inter as well, where, you know, things when they were going well went brilliantly and his teams were incredible to watch. But when it started going wrong, he seemed to run out of ideas a little bit, but he, th- that, that seems to have changed here um, at, at Milan. It's, it's this consistency I was talking about, this absolute steamrolling momentum of his team is, is, is very different to what we've seen from, from previous Pioli teams. So he's definitely developed and improved as, as his players have. And as a result, he, he's massively popular. I mean, it was uh, yesterday when I was at the game, I went down to the, uh, the away end before the match to, to see the away fans going in and take some pictures and so on. And I found a guy who was there with a, with a banner it's, it's on my Twitter that had Pioli kind of mocked up as, as the Pope with a, with a, <laughs> uh, a halo around his head and saying the new Pope. And you know they're they're all singing Pioli's on fire, which is their their song for him. And Pioli yeah. in the second half started dancing along to it because um, <laughs> he, he was able to by that point. So yeah, there's a, there's a great bond between him and the Milan fans as well. He's he's become a hugely popular figure. He's definitely earned earned the love and respect that he he deserves to have for for this achievement. That's great. And it was good to hear the whole San Siro singing Pioli's on fire uh, last weekend as well for him. It seemed like a big moment. And you mentioned the idea of running, perhaps running out of ideas uh, in a certain stage of his career. And that leads me to think about next season. This team might look a little different. I mean, Kessie, I think I believe he's going off to Barcelona. Uh, I'm presuming Giroud and Ibra aren't going to be around forever. What do you think this team looks like next season? How do they keep going and maybe even think about a Champions League campaign as well? Yeah, that's that's the big question now, and you don't want to take away this moment from, from Milan fans at all. But um, there, there's definitely a sense that this was a fantastic achievement, but this definitely isn't a complete squad, you know. And, and you know, I should say as well as one of the other things, Pioli did brilliantly this season was he dealt with the issues that he faced really well. The Kessi contract situation was definitely one of them that that could have turned very very sour very quickly. Kessier is going to leave at the end of his contract, but he was still in the starting lineup at uh, on the final day of the season and scored a goal and was being cheered by the fans. The fact that that's even allowed to happen deserves some plaudits in itself. Um, and then on top of that, you know, the, this this defense I was talking about, um, Kalulu and Kalulu and uh, Tamori, they they weren't the partnership to begin with. I mean, it was Kier, Simon Kier who had a season-ending injury in December, and so it was Pioli who managed to get Kalulu into that team, having previously played mostly at right back. And he's been an absolute revelation there. So he, he's dealt with all his problems very well. Um, but sorry, I've completely forgotten what the actual original question was. <laughs> Basically, next season, are they going to keep the momentum going and this team might look a little different and the idea of running out yeah. of ideas, if you will. Yeah, I, th- I think that the the main one is the the striker problem for me because the, they, they there was a time not very long ago when that was being talked about as the big issue with this team is they're, they're not scoring enough goals. They won a couple of games where they couldn't score. Um, Giroud has has come up in massive moments for 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 Milan this season. Um, scored both goals in the derby back in February. Scored against Lazio when they had a come, huge comeback win not long ago. Obviously scored twice against Sassuolo. Um, scored the winner against Napoli. But he, he's not been you know the, your twenty goal a season striker that they're going to need going forward. And Ibrahimovic's injury problems as well are are only going to get worse presumably uh, with age. So they do need a proper option up there. And they're going to have to keep being as smart, I would say, as they have been so far. Paolo Maldini has done a great job as the technical director in terms of the the players he's brought in. They've they've not been, you know, going for the obvious options necessarily, or necessarily the the big name stars that they, they might have been tempted for in in years gone by. But they've they've brought in the likes of Tomori and Mignon and Kalulu. You know, guys who are kind of slightly below the radar, Alexis Sellamakers is another example that, you know, guys who, who you maybe wouldn't really 
know an awful lot about or have seen an awful lot of until they turn up in Milan shirt and start performing. So they're going to have to have another good season, uh, another good uh, transfer window like that, I would say, because there's definitely still more to be done. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they really turned on their title push this season once they've been knocked out of the Champions League because they 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 accelerated towards that title once they could mm. focus only on Serie A. And I think having two or three competitions to work with is, is a bit challenging for the current squad. Yeah, and it's worth noting, by the way, you mentioned Paolo Maldini, his son Daniel Maldini, part of this squad. So uh, Paolo, Daniel and the grandfather, Cesare Maldini, all uh, forming part of this Maldini dynasty at Milan. How much pressure is there on Daniel to eventually have a child who plays for Milan as well, is my question. <laughs> um, yeah, presumably, <laughs> apparently. You've got to keep it going. I mean, he's he's not shown, shown huge signs that he's going to quite live up to those, those previous two, but you never know. Um, <laughs> yeah, incredible, isn't it? Quite the dynasty indeed. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Inter, we're going to talk about Napoli, Juve, and much more. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking Serie A with Alistair McKenzie. Let's get to Inter Milan, who finished two points behind AC, of course. Uh, Hacking Chalanolu picking the wrong Milan team, it seems, this season. They did lead for nine game weeks, but seemed to fall apart around February. They dropped a few points there. Um, Alistair, we've had an interesting question from The Hamburglar. On, uh, on Twitter. What's Inter's financial situation, he says. I know the issues led to Antonio Conte leaving, but will they have to sell key pieces this summer as well? And if so, which key pieces? Obviously, you mentioned uh, earlier in the show how a few players did depart uh, last summer. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was a, a huge kind of immediate disappointment for the Inter fans last season because, you know, that that title for them had been the first in 11 years like it was for Milan this year. And then immediately Conte was gone and Lukaku, uh, sorry, Hakimi was gone. And then uh, Inzaghi took the job. And before he knew it, Lukaku was gone, who wasn't, as, as Inzaghi said himself, wasn't to his knowledge that Lukaku was going to head out as well. So um, that, that, was, uh, that left a big hole in that squad. You know, they needed someone like Conte to, to get them going and turn them into a title contender again. Last season, they made losses of 245 million euros, um, which isn't good. And there, there was a cash injection since then. Um, there are a few things to consider with this, though. You know, it does seem like it's not going to be the same for, for the current season just, just finished. I mean... Uh, the, one of the reports I read earlier on this said that it's going to be more than halved and, and be more like a hundred million. Um, so a bit, you know, still a lot of money, but uh, a lot more healthier than it was last season because obviously full stadiums again this year they've got the money from selling those players, Lukaku and Hakimi. They've got new sponsorship deals that they've had in, um, and obviously they've had a run to the Champions League last sixteen as well, which that's all going to help. So, um, I mean, I don't know for sure. I cannot uh, give any expert insight as to the current state of uh, Inter's finances. But I would say that this summer, they certainly aren't wrestling with the same level of financial issues as they were last summer, or it certainly doesn't seem like it. Um, if they were to sell players, it's a good question. Um I think there there's certainly a few you would look at. Milan Skriniar has been 
linked with all sorts of moves for a very long time. Alessandro Bastoni, there's been a, a bit of talk about him going this summer as well. Very, very, very talented uh, young uh, centre-back. Lautaro Martinez is another one who's who's been linked with all sorts of moves away. It looks like they may well end up losing even Perisic too, um, due to not being able to agree a new contract with him. So there, there's, there is a chance of this happening. I just can't quite foresee it being nearly to the same level as last year, where we had three massive figures of that title all, all going at the same time. Obviously, Conte... Uh, wasn't wasn't sold because he was a coach, but his reasoning for leaving was that he wasn't uh, being put in a position to to improve on this because of the finances and because of the the club's um, decision to basically sell players to raise money. Mm. So yeah, I, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be uh, as an Inter fan, you know, terrified that exactly the same thing is going to happen again. But um, you just never know. Yeah, and you've got to be thinking when you mentioned about Milan um, focusing, AC Milan focusing on the league after they exited the Champions League and Inter obviously went a little deeper and actually ran Liverpool fairly close in the end, in the, in the knockout stages. Is, is, there, is there a scenario where Inter weren't quite as focused on the Champions League and maybe picked up a couple extra points domestically here and there and, and this was all a little different? Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, Inter's... Squad depth is better than anyone else in the league. Um, so I don't think they can necessarily use that as as much of an excuse as other teams would. And I think it's always a very convenient thing, you know. Everyone mm. celebrates qualifying for Europe every year and then complains about having to play in, in three <laughs> competitions. So, um, no, it, that in itself was great progress for Inter, to be honest. I think I can't remember exactly how long it had been. In my back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking something like 10 years since they last got to the knockout stages of the Champions League. So for Simone Inzaghi to pull that off in his first season, having done the same thing with Lazio the year before, uh, that that was real progress. You know, that was the one stick Conte has often been beaten with is his record in the Champions League. And Inzaghi went and outperformed him there with with a worse squad. And like you say, did did well against Liverpool in those games. And if it wasn't for uh, that red card immediately after sc- them scoring at Anfield, you never know what could have happened there. So... Um, yeah, I think that they, they performed well in Europe. They went and won the Coppa Italia. They won the Supercoppa. So, you know, that's something for Inter. They, it's disappointing to have not won the title, but they have won two trophies. I think Inzaghi deserves massive credit for that. That means he's already won more trophies than Conte did in one year, uh, having won two. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's not the, the silverware that Inter had started the season hoping for, but I think considering the level of change that they had and also the fact that they, they didn't just lose players like Lukaku and Hakimi, but the, the ones they brought in were, you know, Edin Dzeko was, was uh, Lukaku's replacement and they still managed to take this to the final day. And, you know, it's 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 been okay. I think for Inzaghi's first season, he's, he's done fairly well. Yeah, and they scored 84 goals as well. That's a pretty good tally. Um, certainly the best in the league this season. Do you get the impression that it's going to be the two Milan teams competing next season or is it going to be another three, four-horse race? It's really hard to say. I mean, I think they should both be up there. Yeah, I mean, it, I I would say that the, the standard of the league as a whole has been poorer this year. Um, but in a strange way, that's allowed the league to be more competitive. Uh, there, there are. I think Milan are the only team in the top six who have actually improved. I think Roma might be one point better off, perhaps, than they were last season. But otherwise, I think Milan are the only one who's taken significant improvements in terms of points total from from years before. So there's been a bit of a year of uh, regression from a lot of these teams, and a lot of them really need to sort themselves out, to be honest. <laughs> So it's quite hard to tell what's going, who's going to emerge from this the strongest. And I think the transfer market's going to dictate that to a large extent. But Inter should really be up there. Uh, they've, they've got a very strong squad already. Um, they've got a coach who seems to know what he's doing with them. It's You, you mentioned the goals, though. I think that's that does go back to one of the, the central reasons for this title race panning out the way it has Inter haven't had problems scoring goals this season but they've just been a bit too 
a bit too mad. They're, they're known as Patsa Inter, you know, crazy Inter. And that was one of Conte's big jobs when he was in charge. Was He said when he first arrived, he wanted to take the Patsa out of Inter because uh, he'd had enough of it. <laughs> but it, it's been very much back this season. They've had a, a few more kind of crazy games. And uh, even though they're scoring all these goals, they're still not ending the season with with enough points on the board. And they're still throwing away the title really in uh, avoidable circumstances. It was a, an error from their backup goalkeeper, Yonit Radu against Bologna, where he just uh, lost the ball um, mm. to a striker that essentially cost them the title. So it's definitely a year of regrets for them in, in that regard. Certainly so. And how about Napoli? They were in the race up until a few weeks ago. Um, what have you made of Spalletti's Napoli this year? One thing I'll notice... I looked, and they've had 12 kits this year. Four different Maradona kits. A Halloween kit. Like, that's a lot of shirts, Alistair. <laughs> so what happens when you get a fashion brand to be your kit supplier? <laughs> <laughs> they've got Emporio Armani making their kits now. And um, so, yeah, it, it's not a huge surprise, I guess, that the they're therefore wanting to get as many of them out as possible. But it's it's ridiculous. I mean, the Halloween one was absurd to be honest <laughs> but um yeah i mean it's uh, certainly given napoli fans options of what to wear to the stadium that's for sure uh yeah they bottled it basically um it's a shame you know that i think napoli fans might end up looking back on this this period of the last five years and think wow how did we not win a scudetto in that period whether it was under sari or this season under Spalletti, like I said, this was a pretty weak field this year at the top of the table, and they had every good a chance as chance <laughs> as good a chance as anyone else to come out top on the top of that pile. But yeah. they bottled it in April. They had a run of three games where they picked up one point, and it was just gone after that. And um, it's a real shame because. They've not won a Scudetto since Maradona was there in 1990. So they're, they're not going to get many better opportunities where Juve are this week. Milan didn't really look ready to win a title uh, for much of the season. And Inter were, were, were clearly flawed and a bit distracted by Europe as well. And they, they just had a chance. It was right there. They've got a very strong squad. They were playing fantastic football. They started on an incredible run the start of the season. So... Uh, they're, they're, I said there are going to be regrets for Inter from this season, but probably even more so for, for Napoli, given the consequences of the, the club's history and how rare it is for them to be in this op- be in with a chance of, of getting that Scudetto in the first place. Yeah, and presumably as there's going to be another big shark in the tank um, next season with Juventus, who uh, finished fourth again this season, same as they did under Pirlo the previous season. Um, presumably, I mean... Are they going to be more in contention next season? And what can we say about this season in terms of uh, how things panned out for the old lady? Disaster. Complete disaster. I mean, it's an embarrassment, really. Uh, it's it's gone even worse this year with Allegri coming back, which was supposed to be um, a way of the club kind of saying, right, We've had enough of this experimenting, trying to find a way of combining winning with playing good football. Let's go back to a guy who we know will actually win the league and get us back to winning, and then we can rethink that again. And and it's been a complete disaster. Allegri looks like a guy who's been out of the game for a few years. His tactics have been outdated, negative, and actually damaging. They lost the Coppa Italia final because once they went in front, Allegri switched to a back three to try and defend the lead, and they couldn't. Uh, it's been the same case all season. Disastrous negative football. They do have a lot of good players in that squad, but they've not been able to express themselves. And in the end, Andrea Pirlo, who, let's not forget, had never coached a single game of football in his life before until starting with Juve last season. Andrea Pirlo's team were scored eight points more than Allegri's team last year. So I, you say that you think there will be another team in contention next season. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't see anything about this Juventus team right now that makes me think they're going to be winning the Scudetto next year. And it's, it's a crazy thing to, to think, really, considering we're talking about Juventus, 
considering the strength of their squad. But there's just been nothing on display this season to suggest that that is a team that's going to go and win a title. And I think they're going to find it very hard to go into the market and find the answers to those problems there. They're also losing their their captain, Giorgio Chiellini. He's gone, yeah. who's still been one of their best defenders. They're losing Paolo Dybala, who is their best attacker. Uh, their midfield is a complete mess, so it doesn't matter who you, who you lose there or not. So, yeah, I... I don't know. I don't know what's coming next for Juventus. There's a lot of questions uh, to answer there, but um, Allegri's return has been shocking. It's it's the first time in eleven years that Juventus have finished a season without a trophy, and I think that pretty much sums it up. Wow! And as you say, some some change coming with uh, Dybala and Chiellini leaving as well. It seems like yeah, may- maybe things won't um, resolve next season. We shall see. Maybe one of the Rome teams is going to uh, be in with a better shot at the top four. Then, Alistair. Yeah, I mean to be honest, the both of them, Roma and Lazio, will both be kicking themselves that they didn't get top four this season. If you think, considering the weakness of that Juve side, um, I think that really the transitions that both of those teams have been going through is the only thing that stopped them from really challenging properly because Lazio have, you know, it's been a huge transition for Lazio under Maurizio Sarri, a huge change of tactics, of style, of personnel, everything really. And that has taken, uh, it took quite a while to get going for them to really find their feet. Had a very strong second half to the season uh, Ciro Immobile has been absolutely exceptional again, 27 goals. He's the, uh, won the Capo Cannonieri for the fourth time, which only one person has ever done before, which was Gunnar Nodal in the 1950s. So he's been absolutely exceptional. Roma under Mourinho have been very, a bit hit and miss, I think is the, the way to put it. Um, some really disappointing results, but some massive highs as well. They've 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 really bought into the Mourinho project in Rome. You know, the stadiums have been packed. They've had, I think, 15 sellouts this season. They've had this yeah. run for the final of the Conference League as well. But despite all that, the football hasn't been particularly impressive a lot of the time. Um, they have had some real highlights. You know, Tammy Abraham has been a superb signing for them. Uh, absolutely banging in the goals. He's been the, the player who scored the most goals in a debut season for them ever. Uh, beating Montella, beating Batistuta, you know, he's 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 been a, an incredible signing for them. But I do think those te- two teams they've 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 really had transitional years. They've been working out how to play, uh, what their strengths are, finding their feet a bit. Um, but even despite that, they'll they'll be looking at this season thinking, wow, this this was a chance to get Champions League that, that that's been missed out on just because of the the weakness of that Juve team. Yeah, yeah. So Lazio and Roma finishing fifth and sixth, both going into the Europa League, uh, a point apart they were. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Alistair, I've, I've been lucky enough to go to Roma and Lazio games this season. And you're right, the, the atmosphere at both is is phenomenal. I'd recommend any listener who's coming to Rome to go and check out a game because uh, both sets of fans, at least, put on a really, really good show. But what I've noticed around the city, though, Alistair, is... The cult of Mourinho you mentioned there. And um, you can go to the mall and they're selling shirts with Mourinho's face on them. (laughs) And you didn't even see that in England when he was in his pomp there. And as you say, it feels like they've really bought into him here. And I went to um, Roma Inter Milan um, game a few months back when I think Roma went 3-0 down in like the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I think you were there as well that night. (laughs) And... Like it was a weird atmosphere because Mourinho was there on the sideline and both sets of fans were adoring him and cheering him. But that wasn't the only thing that impressed me. It was the Roma fans for 70 minutes of this game were 3-0 down, but still just had this relentless positivity and waving the flags and getting behind the team that I've never seen anywhere else. And I don't know, does, does Mourinho play a part in that at all? Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say, that is not something they are known for. Right. <laughs> um, relentless positivity. I mean, it's 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 funny because Paolo Fonseca, his, his predecessor, didn't get anything like this. This level of support, obviously not nearly as, as big a name um, in the world of football. But uh, Fonseca did achieve pretty much exactly what Mourinho has achieved. I mean, last season... Um, I think he was one point worse off, but uh, they got to the Europa League semi-final at the same time. Obviously, Mourinho's taken to the final, but but this time in the Conference League. Um, 
but yeah, they, they have bought into this, um, 100% bought into this. And whether it's Mourinho's gripes about refereeing, which have been, you know, absolutely nonstop all season, Mourinho's been driving standards, I think, is the way that people have, been, have seen it because he's been talking about his own squad not being good enough, the transfer business not being good enough. And he can probably see the hypocrisy in what he's saying because Roma spent more money than anyone else last summer. But Mourinho is a guy who's there to win. He's not there to hang about. And so that that's what's getting these guys excited. For Roma, this Conference League final is going to be huge because... They haven't won any trophies for 14 years. They've never won a major European trophy. So there are lots of people out there who are, uh, you know, turning their noses up at the Conference League because obviously <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a competition that's not necessarily got the strongest field of teams in it. But for Roma, it's, it's more about what it represents. And also, I think it'll be huge for Rome, uh, for, for Mourinho to... To do that in his first season, I mean, everyone's really bought into to his project already. But I think if he manages to actually end that that trophy drought and and get a European trophy, it's it's going to reach reach new heights. To be honest, and uh, I think those those T-shirts you're seeing in in <laughs> in the shops are only going to accelerate in quantity. <laughs> Yeah, definitely so. And as as we record, um, the Conference League uh, is is later this week. Uh, the game against Feyenoord. Um, h- how excited do you sense the city is for that? I mean, I've been invited. I was just invited to a party to go and watch the game, um, and it feels like there is definitely more excitement than I I would expect. Say the Conference League to generate in in, in England or, or or maybe other countries. It seems like, as you say, R- Roma fans are certainly bought into this. Yeah, I mean, I was at the the semi-final against Leicester and it's genuinely one of the loudest atmospheres I've ever heard in my entire life. It was an incredible game. I mean, I've been to a lot of big venues, a lot of big events, but that this this was something else. The the wall of noise that was started about two hours before kickoff and kept going. And and that was the noise of of a crowd celebrating or cheering on what they see as a big event. So let's let's not beat around the bush here. This this is viewed as being a massive, massive thing for the club. Um so yeah, like you say, I think it's it's maybe something that people were a little bit skeptical about the creation of a third uh, a third European competition and whether it's needed and so on. But I think what what we've seen from the competition shows that it does have value because it means an awful lot for a club like Roma. It also means it's going to mean a hell of a lot for a club like Feyenoord and you know Leicester, who who Roma beat to get there too, uh, came with a huge travelling support. Um, so yeah, I think that it, it, it's a huge event. I mean, to 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 underline this, Roma's fans haven't been able to go in that big a quantity to the final because it's in Tirana in Albania and the stadium only holds 20,000. So they've opened up the Olimpico for a viewing party and they've sold 45,000 tickets already for people wow. to just go to the stadium and watch the game on TV screens in the stadium. Uh, <laughs> so I think that kind of shows you what we're talking about here in terms of the anticipation around that. Definitely so, yeah, yeah. So the, some lucky fans got to go to Albania and the rest of the Romans can come to the Olympico to watch a game. That sounds fantastic. Um, we're going to take another very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little more about Serie We'll talk about Venezia and plenty more just after this break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking Serie A with Alistair McKenzie. Alistair, um, going a bit down the table from Lazio and Roma, we've got Fiorentina in seventh, Atalanta in eighth. Uh, a little further down the table, Sassuolo, Milan's opponents, um, who finished in 11th uh, this season. Milan's opponents on Sunday, I should say. They, I, I've seen them pitched as kind of the new Atalanta, a hipster's choice, Sassuolo. What do you make of that? <laughs> well, I mean, they've they've been a bit of a talent factory, really, in recent years. And they've also done so by kind of playing a really good standard of football. You know, under their former coach, Roberto De Zerbi, they, they played some phenomenal stuff um he left last summer though so this year to be honest it's it's really not a bad outcome for them to finish 11th under Alessio Dionisi who's you know a, a young another young up-and-coming coach like Deserbi was you know that's the, very much the mold they like to go for like uh Yosebu or Di Francesco for example in the past as well and um and yeah they're they, they have the Italy attack basically up front <laughs> they have uh, Giacomo Raspadori, Domenico Berardi and uh, Gianluca Scamacca and you know that's not obviously always the front three that Italy are going to be fielding but they're all in Italy internationals they're all uh, well Berardi's kind of mid-20s now but the other two are very young players um, so they are very much promoting youth promoting attractive football and they're always good to watch they've also developed this amazing knack for annoying the big teams and this was one of the reasons that Milan perhaps were a little bit uncomfortable going into that game on Sunday um, even though Sassuolo were already guaranteed kind of mid-table security they'd beaten Milan at San Siro in November 3-1 they'd also beaten Inter they'd beaten Juve they'd beaten Lazio uh, they'd beaten uh, Atalanta, I think it was Fiorentina. They, they, they've essentially gone and beaten all the big teams this season. <laughs> and uh, it's an incredible feat, really, for, for a team of that size. They don't have a big support. You know, this is a part of the reason that the, the stadium was taken over by Milan fans on, on Sunday is that the, the stadium's not even in Sassuolo. Sassuolo is a separate town from Reggio Emilia, which is, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how far away, 20 kilometers or something. Um, very small town. So it's a bit of an oddity, really. Uh, it's a very small club that's worked its way up, way up the league and has now established itself as this kind of uh, talent factory that, that where you can go and watch some very, very nice football. And they've still been doing that this season. So I, I wouldn't expect them to achieve the things Atalanta have achieved in, in recent years and be reaching the Champions League, reaching Europa League quarterfinals. I, I don't think that's a, a reasonable expectation for, for Sassuolo, but... Certainly, if you're um, if you're bored and you see that they're on, they're one of these teams that's worth watching because they're they're always kind of a nice football team that are playing an entertaining brand. Yeah, definitely. So, and uh, we did, we didn't only have a pretty good race at the top of the table, so we had a, a very good relegation race uh, in Serie A this season as well. I'm looking at Sal Salernitana, I felt like they were rock bottom for like forever, and they managed to um, <laughs> escape this one. I think four points separating them and Venezia, who finished bottom. So, a really, really tight race at the bottom as well. Um, do, do you think the the three teams, Cagliari, Genoa, and Venezia, the teams who went down, were the teams that should have gone down? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible that Salernitana haven't gone down. It really is. They they looked completely out of their depth after they were promoted. Um, I think it was their first time up since 99, if, if I'm not wrong. And very, very quickly looked like they were nailed on to go straight back down again. They somehow turned this around thanks to, well, bringing in a number of, of improved improvements in the transfer market in January, um, but also having Davide Nicola. And this guy's name is worth remembering because he, he achieved another miracle survival a few years ago with Crotone, who were a small team from, from Calabria on the south coast. And they, they achieved a similar miracle survival where nobody expected them to stay up. They looked completely gone. He's, he's from Turin, uh, Davide Nicola, which is the other side of Italy. He vowed to cycle all the way from uh, Calabria to, to Turin if they stayed up, and they did, and he did. And now he's gone and done the same thing again. But if anything, the Salernitana survival looked even unlikelier. Um, but, I mean, the standard of the teams at the bottom this year has been 
abysmal. They've they've been dreadful. So the teams who have gone down deserve to go down. Um, Venezia sadly just never really looked experienced enough, cut out for this level. They also really faded badly after a good strong start. Genoa have got really what what's been coming to them for a long time. They've this is a team with uh, the the kind of wage budget of a top half team. They really should be up at the other side of the table, not down fighting relegation, but that's where they've been every year. Every year they've been swapping coaches every few months. They had three this season. Um, and I think, to be honest, in my opinion, I think Genoa is a club that needs to go down to sort themselves up and come back up and do it properly because they've just been scraping by for, for too long now. Um, Cagliari, likewise, big surprise. Um you look at their squad and you think again, mid table at least, and uh, they've they've just, yeah, they've been dreadful this season. And last night, Salernitana, there was a shootout for um, for the last relegation spot between Salernitana and, and Cagliari. Salernitana lost four nil. They they bottled it in in spectacular fashion, really, at home to Udinese, who who had nothing to play for. And yet, Cagliari still couldn't muster a goal against Venezia, who were already relegated. It's it's the dream game for them to have at the end of the season. All they needed to do was beat Venezia, and they couldn't. Uh, they couldn't really even get that close. So I think that the three teams who've gone down in the end can't really have any complaints, and it's been yet another kind of miraculous effort from Davide Nicola to, to, to keep a, an unfancied team up. Yeah, definitely so. Um, Owen Davis on Twitter has asked, what are the big things that led to Venezia's relegation? You've dug in there a little bit already, Alistair, but um, obviously there's a bit of um, American interest in this team with uh, Gianluca Busio and, and, and the American ownership there. Uh, they're a team I facetiously refer to as the Venice fashion brand because of their, their lovely, lovely shirts. But, um, I mean, do, do you see them coming back up? Is uh, how, how, how badly did they do this season, basically? Not that badly. I mean, you know, it was it was always a big ask for them. You know, they they were they were a small club as a as a as a promoted club, and the team they kind of came up with was pretty inexperienced at this level, and they they started pretty well. I mean, at the midway stage, they weren't in the relegation zone. Uh, they were they were on course to survive. Uh, Paolo Zanetti, their coach, was getting a lot of plaudits as being you know perhaps the next big thing kind of coach in Italy, uh, given his efforts. and But they just really bombed in since the turn of the year. They didn't have a good January um, in terms of the players they brought in. You know, Nani was brought in, for example, and they just never really managed to get the kind of player they could rely on to score goals up front. They also had this awful habit of conceding late and... I don't know the exact figures. I don't have them on me, but I imagine if you looked at how many points Venezia threw away in the last five, ten minutes of matches this season, it would not be very nice reading for them. So that was a real issue, maybe a mentality issue. I'm not sure. Um, but they won two games in, in 2022. And eventually Zanetti was was sacked in April and it just, it, it was too little too late, really. They couldn't, couldn't do enough. I mean, you know, they, they it has been a nice nice season, I guess, for them in some ways. They they came up and tried to play nice football. You know, they didn't just try and soak up pressure and squeeze out results. They did try and play. Um, it I I really enjoyed having them in the top flight. I went to watch Venezia against Genoa back in uh, February, and it is an absolutely amazing, unforgettable day out because you have to take the traghetto. You know the one of the little um, ferries to, to get there. You, you arrive at the stadium by boat. Uh, you walk along the canal to get into the ground. And wow. it, it's this tiny little stadium. And over the back of the stand where, you, where you're sitting, there's, you know, the a kind of marina sitting with yachts there and everything. It's, it's an amazing place to watch football, really. And it's an incredible thing that that was a Serie A venue, to be honest. So, um yeah, I really, really enjoyed having them there. Um, but yeah, ultimately, that lack of quality and that complete collapse really in the second half of the season is 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 what did them. All right, uh, as this, you've mentioned sort of the quality of this season 
Um, but how have you felt it's gone entertainment-wise? When you look back at this season, maybe if you look back in a year or two, will you think, yeah, that was that was a great campaign? Or will you think, well, you know, the quality was a bit low? How, how do you think you perceive it? I think it's been fantastic because it's been a, a massively competitive field. You know, it's 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 pretty rare to have uh, on the final day a relegation battle, one place yet to be decided, to have two teams fighting for the title at the top and on top of that to have European places still to be decided as well. I mean, that is pretty much all you can ask for uh, from a league season is is to be given that kind of climax. So yeah, it's been great drama. There's been fantastic storylines all the way through it. And yeah, like I said, although I think the the standard of the teams, both at the bottom and the top has been pretty poor, actually. uh, It's it's not taken away from the overall experience of of the season. It's been a a fantastic season to, to watch. It've been some incredible moments, but um, but yeah, it's 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 hard to know where it goes from here. Like I said, when you were asking about the title race before, it's it's very difficult now to predict what what happens from here. Which of these top teams emerges contenders? Whether it'll be the Milan teams again, or whether it's going to be Juve coming back into, or if Napoli can strengthen, or even if one of the two Rome clubs can really kick on from these first transitional seasons. What happens to Atalanta now? You know, is is their eighth place finish a sign that their cycle under Gasparini is over or is this just a blip and they'll be back? So it's actually really, really hard to answer these questions. And if you've been watching Serie A for the last decade, like I have religiously, (laughs) um, that is a really good place to be because... Uh, for nine years in a row, Juventus were winning it every single season and rarely, uh, with a few exceptions, were they being properly um, challenged. So so that it's it's really, really good to have it back as being a proper competitive league again and, and, and with everything that goes with that. My final potentially very difficult question for you, Alistair, is about next season's Champions League. Uh, this season, for the first time in quite a while, I believe we had both Milan teams competing in the Champions League, uh, but no Italian team made it past the quarterfinals, I think, this season. Do you see an Italian team going deep again in, in Europe's top competition next year? Um, it was the last 16, both Inter and, and Juve knocked out um, this season. Yeah. Um, I, I still think there's there's a huge gap there, and sadly, it keeps getting bigger as as UEFA kind of wave through every single possible measure introduced to allow the rich, powerful clubs to get more rich and more powerful. And Italy's been a bit left behind in that regard. Um, it is a little bit amusing to be honest, that uh, Juventus are in the situation they're in, having been one of the founders of the Super League. Uh, But I just cannot see an Italian team competing to win the Champions League uh, as soon as next year. I don't think any of them are even close to the standard that's been set by your your Man Cities, your Liverpools, your Real Madrids. Um, I, I, I don't think that over two legs, any of these top Italian sides are there yet. Um, I think they can they can compete. Hopefully someone can have a run. Uh, it would be nice to see someone get further than the last 16. Um, and I also hope that beyond that, that the, the teams start giving a proper show themselves in the other competitions because it's almost like a cultural thing that beyond the Champions League for too long, the Europa League, people have been snobby about. Now there's the Conference League, which people had opportunities to be even more snobby about. But Roma have shown this season that there is a lot of joy and pride to be taken from that that kind of competition. So I really hope that not just in the Champions League, but in the Europa League, the Italian teams can can have a proper go of it and, and try and own, own those kind of competitions. Um, I thought the Europa League was fantastic this year. Um, it was it was a really really good competition. Fantastic um, to have clubs like Rangers and Frankfurt in in the final instead of 
you know, Man United, for example, or Chelsea have been there in, in recent years, uh, were essentially just dropping down out of the Champions League. So, yeah, I, I think that there's it's probably too much to ask um, at this point for the top Italian clubs to be winning the Champions League, but I do think it's possible in, in the, the lower two competitions. All right, Alison McKenzie, a real pleasure to talk to you today about Calcio. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's plugs time. I'll give you one more chance to um, tell us where we can find you. Tell us about your podcast. I'm not very good at this, but um, <laughs> well, you, you, the, 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 the only real place to find me is on Twitter, uh, at AKS McKenzie. And um, pretty much everything I, I write or do, I will uh, annoy everyone with on there and, and share. So... Yeah, just give me a follow in there and uh, you can take it from there. And if there are, like I said at the start, any English-speaking Lazio fans out there who's been wondering where you can hear about Lazio every week, then I'm also battering on about them all the time on Lazio Lounge podcast. So you can just search for that online and you'll find it very easily. Wonderful stuff. Alison, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Listener, thank you very much. We'll be back on the feed with another one. But for now, catch you later.